so excited to be back for another episode of the All That Is Good podcast. I've been trying to figure out if I say the tagline or not. Like, originally I came up with the name of All That Is Good and Not So Good because I just don't want this to seem like oh yeah, this is like toxic positivity all the time. Everything is lovely, rainbows, butterflies. Um, But it also feels very long to say the full name. So I'm still figuring that out. And I guess technically the name is the All That Is Good podcast. But I also want it to be known that we will talk about some things that are not so good. And not in like a let's be negative way, but in like a hey, this is real life way. And I want to go to those places too. So yeah, I don't know why I just felt the need to say that. But um, I did. So here we are back another week. It's interesting because I feel like one of my favorite things that a lot of podcasts do is they kind of like chat in the beginning, just life updates, that kind of thing. And it feels does feel a little bit weird because I don't have a (laughs) co-host. So there's no one I'm really chatting to. But I still feel like I can give you guys updates, probably more so than I do on Instagram or other social media platforms. And just kind of share what's currently going on in my life that week, or in the coming weeks or inside of my brain or, you know, just all of those things. So I officially entered the third trimester yesterday. 28 weeks is technically third trimester um, by whoever decided what the weeks and the trimesters are. (laughs) And it feels absolutely crazy. I was thinking back to my first trimester and how slow and long it felt I mentioned on a previous episode that I was super, super sick my first trimester. I mean, I don't know if I actually had hypermesis, but um, that's essentially where you just throw up all day, every day. Like you're just very, very, very sick. And that tends to last a lot of times throughout pregnancy. So mine did stop when the second trimester hit. Thank the Lord. But my first trimester was essentially from... Um, starting at about seven weeks until about 14 and a half, maybe right at 14 weeks was just all day nausea. I mean, like debilitating nausea, could barely get out of bed, throwing up constantly, couldn't keep water down, very dehydrated, um, like no food sounded good. No food helped settle my stomach. I... It was worse if I didn't eat, but it was also bad if I did eat. So it was, it really felt like a lose-lose situation for a very long time. And I was still kind of like so excited to be pregnant that I was trying to just be like, okay, like this is just part of it. You know, you'll get through it. But by about week 12, I was calling my husband who was on tour at the time, just crying and just being like I can't do this much longer this is so hard I'm so tired of being sick like am I ever gonna be okay again and that was truly how it felt it felt like those weeks creeped by and then the second trimester hit and I started to feel so much better started to feel a lot more normal got my energy back still had some acid reflux and some nausea here and there 
but it was, I mean, a drastic improvement. So I feel like then the second trimester kind of flew by, honestly. Like you're still counting the weeks every week. So there are some weeks where you're like, okay, you know, I'm at 20 weeks now. Like you hit your halfway point and you're like, wow, I'm already halfway. But now here I am, 28 weeks, third trimester, in the home stretch. You can technically have a baby after 36 weeks. So I'm like, oh, this is really real. <laughs> like I'm feeling the baby kick nonstop all of the time. I'm having the aches and pains. That has been a new thing that, has ha- that has just started this week is pretty intense pelvic pain and lower back pain, which I um, played college basketball. So I already had kind of a lot of aches and pains in my knees and my back just from years of sports and, um, you know, just wear and tear on my body. So I'm starting to kind of feel that stuff. So I'm in the process right now of going to see a chiropractor and trying to do lots of stretches. I'm using a hot water bottle every night, um, magnesium supplements, all of those things to just try to ease some of that discomfort. Um, and you know, hopefully it won't get too bad. So that has kind of been the newest pregnancy update, but I think I'm just like hitting this point where I'm like, oh, okay, like this baby, you know, yes, you want to get to full term. So full term would technically be 12 more weeks at 40 weeks, but it could come within eight to 10 weeks and that would not be like super abnormal. And I'm like, oh man, that's not a ton of time. (laughs) So I think while that's like super sweet and very exciting, it has definitely like brought in this, uh, you know, it's getting really real aspect to pregnancy. And I was thinking about that this morning and I was thinking about just my whole pregnancy journey and how fast time goes, but how slow some of it felt. And I was thinking back to 2020 when I had all of my anxiety stuff happen and my panic stuff happen. And I realized that I have done such a better job at being more present in life. And maybe that's kind of like a forced stillness in a sense because of pregnancy I haven't been working as much so my schedule is just a lot lighter than it used to be but I also think that some of it is has been so intentional on my part because after I learned that I had what I was experiencing was pretty severe anxiety panic attacks all of that and that was all contributed to the things that were going on inside of my body and my brain, I started to become very diligent about just wanting to figure out like, what can I do to better take care of myself? What can I do to, I don't know, to, to find ways to slow my body and my brain down. Like, I don't want to live like this. Like, I just remember having these super hard moments where I would just sob and sob and sob and just feel honestly so discouraged and just defeated. And I know if you've 
experience anxiety, depression, any of those things that it can just feel so defeating. Like you can just feel like you're literally in a black hole. Nothing is ever going to get better. And I was there for, I don't know, probably six to eight months um, in the very, very beginning of our marriage, which was super tough. And I just remember crying to HB or crying to my mom so many days and just being like, am I ever going to be normal again? Like, and I don't mean to say normal in a sense that people that don't have anxiety and depression aren't normal because I actually think it's more normal. It's more common to have anxiety and depression in today's society than it is to not have that at all, which is honestly really sad. And that alone brings you to this question of like, okay, what are we doing wrong? Like, how are we missing it? And obviously there's the aspect where some people just gen- like genuinely have a chemical imbalance and that is such a real thing as well. So this is not, this is just purely my experience. Um, but I just remember saying, you know, like to me, it just felt like I can't even do the things that I used to do. I can't even go work on a job without feeling like I'm going to have a panic attack at any moment. Or I can't even fly on a plane without having a full-blown breakdown that feels like I'm actually having a heart attack. Like, they were, it was just terrifying, scary, scary moments. And I don't know, I just started reading and researching so many things because I was like, there has to be, I did go on medication for a little while, which helped. I didn't feel like it was the best suit for me at the time. Um, I feel like I wanted to try some other things first, but medication is obviously wonderful. And if you need that, absolutely get that. Like it can change your life. But I, yeah, I really wanted to kind of explore, okay, what are my options? Like, what are some things that contribute to anxiety, depression, panic attacks? I started researching and listening to so many podcasts and Um, I found a doctor here in Atlanta who I talked about last week on my Q&A that is, his name is Dr. Jerome and he is, has a doctorate in in chiropractic medicine. He also um, has a degree, a doctorate in, in neuroscience. I don't know if I'm saying all the correct terms, but basically he's a genius and a doctor and he is incredible. And I started going to see him um, probably six to eight months into my anxiety journey. And essentially, the things that he told me about my body, about what it was doing, how it was triggering my brain, the way I was responding to situations, it just all made so much sense. And I wish that I could break every single bit of it down for you and give you all of that information because it truly changed my life. But I know that I would get things wrong and I don't want to do that or be misleading. Um, But one of the things he did tell me is essentially like my nervous system was living at the top of its threshold. So any small little thing that happens like a flight or something that might give me like a little more adrenaline than normal I was then passing over my threshold line because I was already living so close to that surface. So like if you think about a cup that's full of water and the water's like all the way at the very, very top, okay? 
any sort of jarring movement, any sort of like hit to that glass of water, any of that, the water is going to spill over. And essentially that's what was happening within my body is I was living at this state of extreme anxiety, stress. Um, My nervous system was just, my fight or flight response was ready to be triggered at any moment. So small things that should have not been triggering my fight or flight, things that were not deadly situations. Obviously we have fight or flight for a reason. It's a survival mechanism and it's a good thing. He always explains it to me, Dr. Jerome, as if you're in the woods and you come across a bear, you know, your fight or flight is what's going to help you survive. It's going to tell you to run or it's going to tell you to not move or it's going to tell you to freeze or, you know, whatever it is. And so we have these fight or flight responses for a reason and they're we're designed that way but I think what had happened was I had just been living with this underlying anxiety for so long partially just completely unaware of it and I was just at my threshold by this point and so these smaller events like moving into a new house or I don't know like I use flying as an example because flying has been so rough for me the last two years. I've had a panic attack almost every single time. Um, Anything that created any sort of adrenaline pushed me over the edge. And so his whole work with me was to bring that, that line, that threshold, bring that glass of water down to maybe make my glass half full instead of almost spilling over the top. I hope this makes sense and I hope you guys are tracking with me. Um, so essentially we started doing some work on my nervous system. Um, this included meditation exercises. This included actual physical, like kind of physical therapy exercises that have to do with rewiring certain sides of your brain and certain sides of your body to rebalance that chemistry back out Um, because one side is your rest and digest system and then one side is your fight or flight and when your fight or flight goes up your rest and digest is then trying to counteract that so our bodies work in these incredible ways to take care of us and to keep us safe but when we are completely overloaded like They're just not meant to handle that. They will and they'll figure out ways to handle it, but it'll probably be in pretty unhealthy ways. It'll probably look like panic attacks or depression or extreme fatigue. Um, Adrenal fatigue is huge with people that have anxiety and depression as well. And like I said, I am 100% not an expert. So Please do your own research, find your own doctors, all that. This is truly just me talking about my experience and what I felt like was on kind of my mind and my heart to talk about today. So with all that being said, we started doing work, not even work, actually, I shouldn't say work, but we started doing some exercises and and doing some different things to try to help bring my threshold back down to a normal level so that way when I do have a little bit of adrenaline whether it's I'm going on a trip and I'm just a bit anxious about it or it's kind of a stressful week 
at work or, you know, HB and I get into an argument, whatever it is, my body is able to handle that and doesn't see it as a life or death situation that then requires a fight or flight response, fight, flight or freeze, I guess, response and sends me into full blown panic mode. So I would have these panic attacks and I would just be exhausted afterwards. I would sleep for hours. I would cry. Like all this emotion would just come out. I would feel so drained. My body would physically hurt because of how tense it would be. And just all the extremities that your body is like going through in order to keep you safe. So it was just really no way to to live or survive. And for me personally, I knew that there was a deeper root issue Um, I did not think that I had a actual chemical imbalance that needed to be treated with medication. I did start taking supplements that helped with my mood and my anxiety and all of that. But I didn't feel like at the time, and maybe I will need this eventually, who knows. But um, I didn't feel like at the time depression medicine was the way to go to just medicate it and kind of for me like numb it almost. Um, which when I was on medication, that's kind of what it felt like it was doing. So as I started to get deeper into this work, one thing that Dr. Jerome told me that he told me in one of our very first sessions, and this like stuck with me, this honestly felt like a punch in the gut. He said, Hey, you can't work your way to healing this. You have to rest your way to healing this. Talk about being mind blown. I know that seems like such a simple thing to say, but as someone who has worked for pretty much everything her entire life um, and who is just honestly pretty type A and someone who strives a lot, um, always striving to get the best grades, always striving to be a good athlete, always striving to be liked by people or to appear successful or whatever it is like that was such a mindset shift for me and I honestly in my brain kind of had a moment of like okay so basically what you're saying is I'm never going to be healed (laughs) because just even the thought of like knowing I didn't even know how to rest I honestly did not even know how to rest that was not even something that I understood how to do. And when I did rest, I felt guilty about it. And I think it was Emma Chamberlain or somebody, I actually heard somebody quote her on another podcast. But I think she essentially said, so this is going to be super paraphrased, but I think she essentially said, if you feel guilty while resting, like you're not actually resting, or something, something to that extent. And that was me every single time it was like, I was saying I was resting. I was saying I was having a chill day or, okay, I need to take a day off from work. And my mind would be racing with all the things that I needed to do, looking around my apartment or now house and looking at all the things that needed to be cleaned, Um, you know, going to get food with a friend or coffee with a friend and feeling like I just couldn't shake all the other stuff that I needed to get done or that I could be doing sitting down to read like it didn't matter what I tried to do I was never fully there like in it I was not present 
by any means in really any area of my life. Like I don't remember just having days where I just am like, man, I was so present in that day. And that honestly is so sad because I think I've lived so much of my life like that. And I know we're now in this phase in our world and our culture where, um, you know, you see on social media, everyone's talking about being present and mindfulness and all these things and letting your body heal and letting your mind relax and all of that. And all that is a huge component to what I'm talking about. But I also think that even that felt overwhelming for me. Like I just want to normalize if trying to learn how to be mindful and be present and relax actually feels more overwhelming even than just going about your normal, busy, anxious lifestyle. Like that is so, I think that's actually so common and I think we maybe don't talk about it. But for me, as someone who ran at this fast-paced lifestyle in my career and always having, always juggling so many things at once from being a college athlete to, I don't know, always having work at the same time, school, sports, being self-employed, sometimes having three to four jobs, bouncing back and forth from one thing to the next, having church, church groups, then maintaining friendships, like it became so normal for me to live that lifestyle that I truly didn't know anything else. I truly didn't even understand that or even really notice that that's how I was living my life. I think when HB and I started dating and then COVID hit, I, it was like a shock to my system, honestly. I feel like he... While he is super busy with work and all that, I feel like he does a really good job of not really being too anxious about the future. He kind of manages stress pretty well. That's not to say he doesn't get stressed. We all get stressed. But I feel like he always, if he's there with a friend at that time, I feel like he's like present with them. And he doesn't take those moments for granted. And I feel like I was just constantly my entire life honestly has felt like waiting for the next moment waiting for the next moment waiting for the next moment oh well when I get here I'll relax a little bit more when I get to this point in my career I'll relax a little bit more that is so unrealistic (laughs) no you will not it'll probably get worse and then you'll probably hit a point like I did where you hit rock bottom and then you're forced to slow down because your body physically cannot keep up And they talk about all the time, like how detrimental stress is to our bodies. And I'm like, I understand it now. A panic attack can make you feel like you are having a heart attack. It can make you feel like you are going to pass out. I've never felt so unsafe in my own body than in those six to eight months. I mean, truly, I felt unsafe. I was like, I can't go anywhere. What if I pass out? What if I have a panic attack? What if no one's around? What if I'm home alone and no one's here to call an ambulance? Like I had so much fear even built up around this because of, because of just seeing how severe the stress and the anxiety, like what it did to my body. Like I didn't, I had never experienced that before. So I didn't know that it was possible. 
And if you're somebody who has experienced this even earlier in life with panic attacks and that type of thing, like, man, I just want you to know that it is so hard. And I hope you're not alone. I hope you have some friends that you can go to and some people, some good people to support you. Because when I say that it was the most difficult thing that I have ever been through in my life, that is no exaggeration. I mean, I've been through some pretty bad heartbreak, some pretty big life changes, some, you know, we all have our stuff. But this, I actually thought like this might kill me. Like this truly might kill me. And so as I was like going on this journey and he said, you know, you can't work to heal this. You have to rest to heal this. Like that's what your body is trying to tell you. I didn't even know where to start. I was like, what does that even, what does that even look like? Do I just like lay around all day? Like I can't do that. Like I need to work. I, you know, need to make money. I need to do this. I need to do that. And it sometimes, yes, does look like laying around all day on a day that I have off and not feeling guilty about it. But I think one thing that I've learned through this entire experience, and now that I'm in pregnancy, I'm having to not relearn it, but I'm having to continue to learn it, is that you cannot work to be still and you can't work to be present you either be still and be present or you don't because if you are constantly saying oh I'm going to be still today I'm going to be present today but you're just thinking about all the things that you need to do to be still or be present you actually are not still and you actually are not present I was journaling this morning and um I don't know. I was just for some reason stillness was just like on my mind. And if you're a Christian, this will relate to you. And if not, I think you can probably apply it to another area of your life. But um, sometimes with journaling or like trying to spend time with God in the mornings, it feels like such a task and a chore. And it feels like one more thing that I need to do. And everyone always tells you, you know, like, that's not the point. Like, the point is not to check something off of your to-do list. But I never could get to, I won't say never, but often I could not get to the point where I actually felt like, oh, I'm just like still. I'm just like being here with God. And lately I've realized that for me, that often doesn't look like sitting down to journal for an hour in the mornings. I'm becoming more still throughout my day and that's where I'm seeing him show up it's a it's a mindfulness practice it's coming into your own your own body and your own brain and like being aware of your thoughts all day being aware of okay if you're in this moment are you actually in this moment are you thinking about your to-do list it's taking time to do to do meditation and to just quiet your brain for a little bit It's taking five extra minutes to stretch your body and to just let your brain like shut off for a few minutes and relax. And I feel like doing these super small practices have 
impacted me more than I even realized. Like I hear God's voice so much clearer than I ever have before. And part of that for me is like, I've just stopped allowing the noise to just completely take control of my brain and my body. And I will not say that I've stopped completely because my husband will tell you I absolutely have not. I still have my days where I come to him and I'm like, hey, this one thing is like really stressing me out right now, like super overwhelming. Um, For example, right now we're trying to figure out if we're going to stay here and have the baby here in this home or if we're going to try to buy a house or if we're going to try to rent another house and move. And all of this is happening on such a tight time frame that when I think about it, it like genuinely puts me into control freak mode. Like I will all of a sudden be emailing our lender six times a day and our realtor six times a day. And I'll be asking HB if he's done this or has he done this or he's done this. And I know that when I go into those control modes and he knows this as well, and it's great because he can hold me accountable to it. But when I go into these control modes, I realize that I'm actually just trying to calm my anxiety by taking control. But a lot of these things are not in my control. Actually, most things in your life are not in your control. And that's something that I've used to cope with anxiety for a really long time is, well, if I'm in control, then I can't be anxious about this because I'm taking care of it. And let me tell you, (laughs) that will get you into a whole world of just more anxiety, honestly, more stress because you're putting so much pressure on yourself. You're putting pressure on yourself that you honestly don't deserve to have because so many things are not in your control. Yes, can you can can you control what you have for breakfast in the morning? Absolutely. Can you control if you you know, for the most part, give your body healthy foods or whatever if if you're able to do that. Um yes. Can you control what time you go to bed? Yes, most of the time. Like there are things that you can do that can help your anxiety, that can help your body and brain. But so much of what we're anxious about, we actually have no control over. And so our anxiety is just ruminating. It's just thinking about, well, the what ifs, the what ifs, the what ifs, the fears that we have. And we clog our brain with this so often. And then we are surprised when we're at our threshold, our cup of water spills over or starts just, I mean, overflowing over and our body reacts to try to keep us safe. Like I was honestly shocked that I was having panic attacks. And then after like one session with Dr. Jerome, I realized like, oh yeah, this was like a long time coming. Like you probably shouldn't be shocked that this is now where you're at. Because you've lived this way for so long. And it's just so, it's so detrimental. It's just, it's not doing you any favors. It's not, it's not making your life more rich. It's not making your life more full. It's not making you any healthier. It's not making you sleep better. It's not making you be a better friend, a better spouse. Like it actually is just taking away from every area of your life. So yeah, like I said, I was journaling this morning and 
I just, I don't know. I was kind of thinking about how I used to work so hard for stillness. And I think my point in all of this is saying is, and I think my point in saying all of this is, one, if you're in this place, you are not alone. This is the majority of our world right now. It's especially the majority of our younger generations. Um, we actually, most people actually don't know how to rest or relax. And sometimes circumstances doesn't allow you to. Like sometimes people have had to, had to survive since an early age. And I think I want to acknowledge that because that plays into how we then move into adulthood and how we cope and how we handle things. And some people with their home life or the way they were raised or maybe being in an unstable home, maybe having abusive parents, maybe maybe having a traumatizing event happen when they were younger. Like you have not even had the opportunity to relax or to rest or to feel safe. And that is absolutely not your fault. So I don't want this episode at all to be a shaming of anyone who has anxiety, depression, or who is currently in this place because I don't feel like I had an extremely traumatizing childhood and I still feel like I was anxious from a very young age and carried that with me and, you know, used survival mechanisms to get by. And so I just can't even imagine someone who has been through some of those events and like the way that your brain and body has had to cope with that. And like, none of that is on you whatsoever. I hope that this episode is more so just an encouragement of one, someone who has walked through this extremely dark season and I wouldn't say is completely out of it. And I don't know, I may never be like I talked about in my Q and a, I still have to manage my anxiety most days I still have to do things to take care of myself and sometimes I'm really anxious for no reason and you know it sucks and I wish that wasn't the case but I will say where I am right now is completely different than where I was a year ago and I've seen so much improvement in myself I've seen so much improvement in just the way that I feel, like the way that my brain works, the way that I go throughout my day, that I just really hope that some of you can find that or can start trying to prioritize that more. I remember one of the saddest moments for me was when we went on our honeymoon and I didn't realize this until months later, honestly. I maybe realized it a little bit while we were on our honeymoon, but um, I think it kind of hit me months later. So I was coming off of, I was pretty like severely into my, my panic attacks and my anxiety at this time. They'd only been happening for like three to four months at this point, and they were happening pretty frequently, and I still didn't really have a lot of tools at that point. I hadn't even met Dr. Jerome yet, so I didn't have a lot of tools to know how to manage them and work through them and, you know, kind of get my body back to a, a good place. And 
on our way to Mexico, HB got us first class tickets, all of this stuff. It's my first time ever flying first class. I've never had an issue with flying before. I always loved flying. I always thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I would stare out the windows and I would journal and I just thought it was the coolest thing. I didn't grow up getting to fly. I didn't fly until I was for the first time until I was 18. So that to me was like a ticket to see the world. And I was like, this is amazing. But we're flying in first class, you know, we have the whole nice setup. And I had a panic attack. And I got so sick. Like throwing up on the plane sick. And no one wants to be that person, right? Like, it's super embarrassing. Here we are in first class, I'm supposed to be enjoying going on a honeymoon with my brand new husband. And he's just seeing me like, hack all into a bag sitting in my seat I'm shaking I'm sweating I'm like can't breathe the flight attendants for sure think I have COVID because this is like you know during 2020 end of 2020 and I'm trying to explain to them no it's not that I'm just like really anxious I'm having a panic attack like it's gonna be fine I don't know the flight to Mexico is maybe like three hours two and a half three three and a half I've threw up and was sick for probably at least two of it Um, and then finally fell asleep because I was just so exhausted and like I said before when I have really bad panic attacks my body then kind of goes into shutdown mode afterwards so we get to Mexico and I'm like okay you're just gonna relax it's gonna be great it's gonna be fine like this is gonna be such an amazing trip and it was amazing there were so many amazing things about it like I wouldn't change it for anything and obviously just having that time with HB was wonderful like we just chilled so much and it was perfect but my brain and my body was still experiencing so much anxiety and so much panic throughout the majority of the trip we would go out to dinner and I would have thoughts and feelings inside of like am I going to get sick is this food going to make me sick am I going to get car sick on the way there am I going to have another panic attack am I going to pass out Am I going to have a panic attack on the flight home? It just, when you are in that place, like, it truly does strip so much enjoyment out of life's moments. Like, I I just, I don't know. It just felt like an everyday thing. It felt like I was thinking about what I should eat, what I shouldn't eat. Was this going to trigger my stomach? Was this going to you know, make me throw up? Was this, was then throwing up going to make me go into a panic attack again? Like, was I going to have to lay in bed all day on our honeymoon with my husband wanting to go and do and see things, you know, my first time in Mexico and I'm can't even leave the hotel room. Like it just created so much fear in my own body and in my own brain. I felt like I couldn't trust my own body. I couldn't trust my own brain. And It's just not a way to live. It is absolutely not a way to live. And I know that we have, and that some people will always have to live that way. And that honestly makes me so sad. Like it truly does. Because even for the amount of time that I've experienced it and have been working through it, it has robbed me of some really special moments and some really, even really ordinary moments in life is so short. I'm 29 now and I'm looking back and I'm being like, 
how many moments were you able to fully enjoy? Like not very many. And I think what's funny, what kind of came full circle to me about all of this this morning um, as I was journaling is that if you're in the Christian space at all or in church at all or any of that, you hear pastors talk about like how God doesn't want you to do more and be more like he just wants you to literally be like be with him, like be still. I mean, the there's a verse that everyone quotes, be still and know that I'm God. And it's so overused and it's so powerful. It really is. But I think I would kind of roll my eyes at it for a very long time because I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Who's actually still like, not me. I don't think the majority of people are. And I think what I'm realizing now is that being still, yes, it's a physical thing. You actually have to like sometimes sit and be still with no noise, no phone, no chaos, no distractions. Sometimes it's a mind thing. Sometimes you need to separate yourself from your thoughts. Maybe jot them down, get them out of your brain. Maybe try meditation to like clear the thoughts. But being still is a constant practice. It's not a job, it's not a chore, and it's not something that you can do more things to achieve. And I think that that's one thing that for me had to really hit home because I always thought if I just do more things to be more present, I'll be more present. No, then I'm just doing more things, if that makes sense. So I feel like one thing that I've had to do is just practice this stillness constantly And I think today, this morning, God was like, ha ha, yeah, you see, like you get it now. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do get it now because it's a constant release. It's a constant letting go of what I cannot control. It's a constant release and laying down of my thoughts that bombard me on a daily basis all the what ifs what if this happens what if this happens what if this happens it's a constant slow breathing reminding myself that my breath is there bringing myself back to my breath it's a constant mindfulness of the moments that I'm in the people that I'm around absorbing every sight and every sound And I think that this is truly the only way we actually achieve being present and being still. And while I don't have this all of the time, I wish that I did for sure. While I don't have this all of the time, I have this so much more now than I ever have before. And I also have the tools and the awareness, which I think that that's one of the biggest parts of this is being aware. For so long, I was just not aware of how I was living, of how my brain was going, was working throughout the day. I wasn't even aware of what thoughts were mine, what thoughts was I letting just bombard me or take over. And so just being aware even brings me back to a constant reminder of, hey, are you being still? Are you being present? Are you trying to control in this moment? Like, what can you let go of today? And 
I don't mean to say all of this to sound super spiritual or overly spiritual, like I have it all figured out or like super like woo woo. But I think there's so much to why these people who are really big into yoga and meditation and mindfulness, why they're able to live their life in such a more relaxed and calm state than the majority of the rest of us. And I used to think, oh, well, they're just that type of person. They must not be very type A or they must not be control freaks or they must not have the anxiety that I have. But no, like it is actually attainable and it is you do have to constantly remind yourself to do it. Like our natural human ways want to go back to controlling everything. They want to go back to hyper focusing on things that need to be fixed or things that might go wrong because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're constantly trying to protect ourselves and we're navigating this world where there are all of these unforeseen things and different circumstances and situations and unsafe people and all of that. And so it's not a bad thing that we're trying to protect ourselves. But if you are constantly living in survival mode, you aren't living like you are actually not living. So I'm going to wrap up with all of that. And I guess the last few things I would just say are, you know, start practicing meditation and mindfulness. I was so bad at it in the beginning and I hated it. Oh my gosh, I hated it so much. I felt like I couldn't shut my brain off. I felt like it was such a waste of time. But the more I did it, even 10 minutes a day, even if it's me just sitting down and listening to calming sounds on YouTube and just breathing with my eyes closed, like I just would come back into my own brain and body. And it took me a while to to really see results from that. But the more I started doing it, the more I was like, oh, yeah, okay, (laughs) all these people are not insane. This actually works. And now in moments of anxiety where I'm really feeling sick over something or something's really triggering me, like that's what I go back to. I take a moment to stop and breathe. I find a meditation to listen to on Headspace. I get my yoga mat out and I just stretch or I just go into child's pose and I just breathe. And that has helped so much. And then I guess the second thing I would say is we have to learn to lay down and let go of what we cannot control. And I know there's so much in there about the universe will send me this or, you know, what's meant to be will be. But I actually think that so much of that is a choice. And HB has really made me see it that way because a lot of times I am choosing stress and anxiety over choosing to release that and say, okay, I've done all that I can do. I don't know what's going to happen but I'll be okay no matter what happens. Like I'll be okay if this thing doesn't work out. I'm not going to ruminate over it. I'm not going to just allow my brain to bombard myself with all of these negative thoughts. And if you've never read The Untethered Soul, I highly recommend it. Um, I forget the author at this current moment, and I'm not going to look it up. But if you <laughs> search The Untethered Soul, it will come up. It's a book. It has like horses on the front. No, it's not a horse girl book. Even though I was a horse girl back in the day, that's another story for another time. But The Untethered Soul was recommended to me when I was going through a lot of this. And I read it last year. And I actually want to go back and read it again this year before the baby comes. And it's all about separating 
your consciousness, like separating yourself and your soul from your thoughts because you actually are not your thoughts. And for so long, I thought, (laughs) for so long, I thought that this is just how my brain is. Like, I just have a lot of thoughts and I just overthink things and I'm an overthinker and I'm an overanalyzer and that's how I'm always going to be. And I've realized so much of that is not true. Like, I actually can separate myself and say, hmm, no, like, I don't want to entertain that thought today. I don't want to go down a deep, dark hole of what if a crater is about to hit the earth and everybody's going to be destroyed except me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's such an extreme dramatic example, obviously, to be funny. But yeah, you don't have to allow your thoughts to just spiral and just make these like negative thought cycles that just torment your brain and then stress your body and then raise your blood pressure and then, you know, raise your threshold. Like there's so much that contributes to that. And I think that part of it is just stopping to be aware and then actively trying to say, no, I'm I'm going to do this differently. Like I'm going to write down all of those thoughts and throw them away. Or I'm going to breathe. Or I'm going to go put on some music and dance it out of myself. Like I've seen this girl on TikTok and it's so inspiring. I actually did this at one point as well. But she just puts on music and she like danced herself to healing essentially. And it's because when you're doing those things, you are being present. You are being in that moment. And you are giving your body and brain a chance to to shut off and to just be. You're not thinking about anything else. You're hearing the music. You're moving your body. Like she didn't even care if she looked ridiculous or not. And then she inspired so many people to try it. And I think that that is absolutely incredible. Like it doesn't have to be these typical cliche ways of finding mindfulness it doesn't have to be yoga it doesn't have to be meditation it could be dancing it could be painting it could be anything I just think that I've seen so much of this help me and I've seen myself come to such a better place with where I'm at with my anxiety and I'm actually learning how to be still and it's beautiful like I'm remembering moments I'm remembering things about this pregnancy that I think before I would have just lived in such an anxious state of what's going to happen, what's going to happen. I'm fearing birth. I'm fearing labor. I'm fearing if my baby's okay. I'm fearing this. I'm fearing that. And I really have not been that way. Like I've felt so just at peace. And maybe that is part of my transition into motherhood. I don't know. Maybe this is all just the stage of life I'm in. And you're like, yeah, this girl's crazy. But If anything, I just hope it encourages some of you today that like, one, you're not alone in this anxiety and this mess and the stress that we deal with on a daily basis. There's only so much that you can do. There are going to be things that are completely out of your control and are going to affect you and make you stressed or make you anxious. But I would say that the things that you can do and the things that you can control, like try to find those little bits of peace and stillness and being present. And I think that's like my little challenge for you is even throughout this week and the next week or until the next podcast, even just 
do something for yourself each day that like brings you back to the moment, whatever that looks like for you. And if you do that, I want you to DM me and tell me that you did it. And I want you to tell me if it helped or tell me if you felt better or just even your thoughts about all the things that I talked about today on the podcast. Um, I would not have gotten to this point at all without so much support from the people around me. So if you don't feel like you have that person, I will absolutely be that person for you. No joke. Like my Instagram is down below send me a DM. Um, I've got the time. (laughs) I will respond. But yeah, I just, I hope that this is encouraging for you and maybe send it to someone that you think also might be in this place or that maybe needs this. Like I said, I'm absolutely not a doctor. I'm not an expert. Um, If you are in a really, really bad place, like go seek help. Talk to someone. Go see a doctor. Um, Go see a psychiatrist. I also do therapy. I didn't even mention that, but like that is something I will actively be doing for the foreseeable future because it keeps me grounded and it helps me process and work through some of these things that I am still dealing with. So yeah, there's no shame in seeking help. Please do that for yourself. Um, and I don't know. I hope you guys have a beautiful week whenever this comes out. I'm not quite sure. But or beautiful next week, if it's at the end of the week, and that you feel a little bit more at peace today. And like maybe you can, I don't know, try some of these things and find a little bit more stillness and be a little more present in your day to day. I love you guys. And I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All That Is Good podcast. If you'd like to find me on Instagram, my Instagram at Mara Brown is linked down below in the show notes. See you guys next week. Bye.